Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Envy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Bloomer. I'm sure that you are by now familiar with the brand Open. They've been making carbon frames like the UP, the Upper, the Wide, and they have a really unique ready-to-paint program, which they've done some collaborations with brands around the industry, as well as some bike shops like Above Category. Envy is also no exception to that. We've done a couple really rad collaborations with Open that have been extremely popular. While I got the chance to sit down with one of the founders, Andy Kessler, we talk about the history of Open, Andy's journey through the industry from BMC to Cervelo, and to obviously his latest endeavor, Open, what projects they've been working on, what you guys can be expecting to see from Open here in the near future as well as the industry as a whole. And it was a good conversation. We had some good laughs and I really enjoyed it and I'm sure you will too. So without further ado, I give you Andy Kessler. Yeah, um, I think it's supposed to be 25 on Monday. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll take it. Hey, we take it. It's really, it's kind of a strange situation, you know? I mean, on the one side, you have the corona thing going on. On the other side, the people are right out. Huh? They're really like, we have five times more bikers. You know, if you if you go to the forest, it's it's full. I mean... I started to ride on the road again because it's just too many people in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> how, um, like during the whole coronavirus, how was it down there? Was it like the roads empty or? Hey, guys... it, it was definitely less people on the road. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, talking about cars, right? Uh, right. Not, not about bicycles. There were, uh, there was a statistic here that people commuted three times uh, more distance during uh, the coronavirus. I mean, before the virus and during the virus, three times more commuting on bicycles. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the roads, the roads were kind of less cars for sure. Uh, right. Now, <clears throat> now it's back to normal, honestly. Now it's back to normal. Oh, really? So people are back to commuting in their cars and using yeah i mean the ones uh, there's still a lot i mean especially here in basel you know it's a lot of pharma business right big big mm -hmm. guys like Novartis and rush and they still all have home office until it's open actually it's i mean definitely may and june they still have home office mm -hmm. uh but it, it's incredible how do people go shopping you know it's like uh garden centers or yep. whatever so so there, yeah traffic is normal i would say now traffic is normal before it used to be 50 percent less uh for cars but three times more for cyclists now it's it's normal it's normal it's right yeah. are, are most businesses still doing the work from home situation then uh Big ones, yes. Big ones, yes. Small ones, no. But like, like I said, like Roche, you know, they have twenty thousand employees here, mm -hmm. and uh, they all work from home. So, yeah. Well, that's got to make some sort of impact. Hey, it's not. It's not clear yet, right? <laughs> it's some. Some say, hey, it's basically no difference. You know, if people work from home or if 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 they work here. Right. Uh, I mean, maybe you read, I mean, I think it was Twitter uh, that just decided, hey, we're going to have home office forever, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack Dorsey wrote on Twitter that uh, he said no, they, nobody will go back to work before September. Yeah. And that it's very likely that if people choose to work from yeah. home, they're going yeah. to let them work, from home, work yeah. from home. Yeah. And I think, I mean, now here, every, I mean, not all the kids, but like the kids until 12, they're back to school. So, I mean, mm -hmm. actually, I think you can work, you know, I think before, you know, if you were, I say, you know, uh, uh, if there were two guys uh, working from home, one always had to take care of the kids, right? So actually, sure. I'm sure efficiency was down, you know. Uh, the question 
is now when you know kids are back to school what the efficiency is you know and you don't have to do this homeschooling again so yep i'm sure on the positive side uh travel will be reduced right a lot of those companies will realize hey we don't need to have this big sales meeting in i say something hong kong with uh, 200 people flying their you know expensive hotels so i'm sure that's going to change that's going to change right hey you know you will see it's kind of until now nobody's complaining that efficiency is down of those companies uh, i think you know Either, either the people didn't really work efficient before, <laughs> but yeah. nobody really said, hey, you know, we are down in efficiency, I say something 20%. So yeah, interesting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's going to be very interesting to see over the next, you know, 12, 18 months, how things progress going out of this. Um, yeah. You know, I've read a, several different articles talking about what we just spoke about with the pressure taken off of the infrastructure from automobiles, mm -hmm. particularly in the US. Mm -hmm. Like if you um, look at LA and some of these other places that have experienced, uh, you know, normally these people are gridlocked yeah. with traffic and, you know, they're actually coordinating off streets for pedestrians now yeah. and cycling traffic. So, you know, I think there's some positive takeaways that we can have from this whole pandemic. No, I, I think so too. You know, my, my hope is still, I mean, unless there is a second wave uh, that, you know, more people uh, uh, survive uh, because of a healthier lifestyle in the future than, yep. you know, people got killed now during this period, right? So right. Uh, yeah, let's see, let's see what happens. It's, it's kind of hard to predict, right? I mean, there's a lot of oh, guys, yeah. a lot of guys say that, hey, the world is gonna be better, honestly. I'm, I'm not sure about that because, I mean, there's a lot of people that have to fight, you know, uh, to survive, right? I mean, if you look at exactly unemployment rate in the U.S., you know, and you know that better than I, you know, after one week, they lose the social uh, uh, security also and everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's going to be massive. And, and you know, that's going to take a long time, right? I mean. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, if you look at the last financial crisis, Experts say that it took the better part of two years, yeah, if if not longer, in some yeah. sectors to recover from that. Yeah, and we're talking something that's you know massively larger scale than what happened yeah. then. So you know, there's experts out there that says three, four, maybe even to a decade to I fully recover. So. From that. I think so. You know, I mean, if I look here, they just announced uh, yesterday that they. Going to support, government is going to support the uh, football and the ice hockey league, you know, with uh, it really, I mean, with two times 150 millions, two times 150 millions. The first 150 millions they have to pay back in five years, the second 150 million they have to pay back in 10 years. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. I mean, it's it like is, it is everybody's handing money out, but you know, somebody has to, to pay for that, right. Yeah, I mean, and we all know who pays for that in the end. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just print money. <laughs> so how is how is open done during this whole pandemic? Hey, it's it was kind of uh, you know we had a super January February. Uh, it was really like super forty percent over previous year. And we had a super start of March and then really like March 12 or 15 or 17, I can't remember, it came to a complete stop. And then we mm -hmm. more or less had four weeks complete stop, which was kind of nice because you, oh, now I can finally get everything from my desk, which is like piling up <laughs> since ever, right? Right. And so you had like two weeks to clear off all the shit and then you were going like, oh, now I don't have a lot to work anymore. So let's keep a little bit for tomorrow. And then you started to work on, you know, creative stuff, right? For the future and everything. Right. But, hey, you know, now I can really be creative again and not just react, but really act and, you know, do some project. And since about two or three weeks, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's really amazing. April... April, like in this mix between, you know, like nothing to do and opening up again, 
we were like 10% behind last year and we had a good mm -hmm. April last year. And May, I think May is going to be the best months ever for us. Uh, really? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the good dealers, they, they are so busy. They're so busy. Yep. You know, it's kind of a mix between people treat themselves, you know, like for, oh, we, you know, we had such a hard time. Uh, hey, now I have to, you know, I have to do something good. I buy a watch, <laughs> I buy a bag, whatever, right? Uh, and then it's also, you know, people, I think, I mean, the people that can afford always, they, they live a healthier lifestyle, you know? Okay, now I really have to do something for my health because, you know, yeah. they realize, okay, Corona can kill you when you are fat and, you know, not in shape and whatever. And, and, and then also, I think part of it is a lot of people think, hey, I cannot go to vacation this year. Uh, so I have to stay kind of inside my country. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's do, see what I can do. And especially, of course, gravel uh, is a cool way to, you know, explore something and have an adventure without, you know, leaving Germany, right? Uh, Correct. And, and so it, it's the mix of all those three things, which really, uh, yeah, I think I talk to a lot of dealers lately and they're doing very well. You know, they're doing, I yep. mean, even like a, a contender in Salt Lake City, he sells like crazy. This guy sells like crazy. You know, that guy's <laughs> like bike dress in Munich. Uh, yep. He sells good. Uh, oh, let's say this way. All the good dealers, they're busy as hell. They're really right. busy as hell. Uh. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that analysis. And if you look at online also, online has been, I think also because people have the time at home and yeah. like, like you said, they feel like, hmm, what am I going to do? I'm going to treat myself to something because I'm not going to spend, you know, X amount on my vacation this year. So yeah. they're buying those, those pro they're, you know, it's like going to the garden center for some people. They're, they're gardening yeah. their bikes. They're like, okay, this is the project that I want to put together and they're yeah. making it happen, which is great. No, especially like with us, you know, we have this ready to paint thingy, right? With custom paint. And there yeah. you could really see, I mean, this, we had a huge increase in that, as you say, you know, people have time and they think, oh, now I have time to do that. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, it's funny. It's, I think it's garden and bicycles <laughs> and pharmacy, which are <laughs> yep. the, big, the big winners. Yeah. Yep, totally. So, um, why don't you tell us how this all started with Open? Give us a little background history on it. Okay. So, I mean, you know, Open is basically two people, right? Uh, that's Jared and myself. And mm -hmm. we have been uh, long term in this industry. And, uh, you know, we basically met during the Cervella times. Uh, yep where I, I quit BMC, where I had the kind of a similar journey than Gerard had with uh, Savella. So basically built something up from scratch. And I was, uh, I was, I was seven years CEO of BMC, you know, was fed up and just wanted to have a job basically. So I started <laughs> uh, to apply for a job with Savella. I had an interview with Gerard and I really liked Gerard from the start. I thought, this is a really interesting guy. Mm -hmm. And then I started to work for Cervelo as a sales manager. And I kind of, you know, came very quickly to a deja vu. You know, it's, it's again this, uh, you know, higher, more, bigger uh, thingy going on. And really kind of being away from the product, just like managing something which, you know, the product is kind of, not important. It could be something else. It could be chairs or whatever. You're just a manager. Right. And, and uh, then I realized really that, hey, this is not what I want to do. I want to be close to the product because I love bikes. And uh, so then I basically quit Cervelo after four years. And actually, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I, I decided I want to stay in cycling. But... Uh, I, I was uh, 47 years old, so I really said, hey, now I need something for the, uh, the rest of my life. And uh, I did some, some, uh, some projects. I did a project for Canyon and 
while I was doing that, you know, Gerard called me up. And I, you know, when I left Cervelo, I had the feeling he's not happy there also. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Gerard called me and said, hey, you know, I'm going to quit Cervelo. Uh, should we not do something together? And I thought, hey, you know, that's, that's the chance uh, now <laughs> to really do something and to, you know, step out of the comfort zone and to stop complaining about the companies you work for, uh, but really take a risk and uh, do something on your own. Because, I mean, the good thing about Gerard and myself is, we are pretty different, I mean, in terms of personalities, but also in terms yep. of skills, which, you know, when you start a business, you think, ah, oh, you know, is this a good idea? I mean, this is not my friend, right? Uh, but then when you think about it, you think, hey, wow, this is perfect, right? He has his skills, right. I have my skills, and together we have an ideal set of skills. So uh, that's, yep. that's how we decided then to start over. Nice. And how long, how long ago, when was that? That was now about eight years ago. Okay. And it started off with the mountain bike frame, correct? That was the first one. Yes, it started up with a mountain bike frame. I mean, the main reason actually was that Gerard had a non-compete. And yep. already during Cervelo times, there was quite a bit of our Cervelo dealers that always asked for a mountain bike frame. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, a mountain bike hardtail frame is not that far away from a road frame, right? Right. Uh, I mean, not looking at geometry, but just how you build the frame. And right. So that's already something we thought about a lot. And that was an easy start for us. I mean, an easy mm-hmm. start. At the end, it was not an easy start, but we thought it's an easy start. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, you know, normally a development for a frame takes around three years. Uh, yeah. I mean, between, let's say between two and four, you know, but three is kind of the average. And we did that pretty quickly. We did that in about nine months. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so it, it was a start and for us, it was always clear, uh, you know, we cannot live from a, a hardtail frame. I mean, but it was a start. Right. So when did the UP come around? So the UP came around uh, in 2016, end of 2016. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it was always... Oh, yeah, we started with this hardtail frame and we knew, uh, yeah, we cannot live from that. We knew, you know, there's always, I mean, we are a small company, but still you have an overhead cost, right? And we always knew we have to reach a certain numbers of frames sold uh, to be able to survive. And we knew we cannot survive from the hardtail frame. And we always actually did ride with our road bikes off-road. Uh, you know, it was funny. I mean, the first ride I ever, ever did with uh, Gerard, I, I still remember was, you know, we were starting on the road and this guy turned off on gravel and I thought like, hey, why is he turning on off on gravel? You know, this doesn't make sense. It's a road bike. And so, but we actually like to do that, you know, and, uh, and but we always have problems, right? We always ended up with a flat or, you know, we had to carry our bags. Uh, so, so then, you know, we had this idea kind of to build this, this bike, which is kind of between a road bike and a mountain bike, which you could use with two different wheel sets. And uh, for us, this made a lot of sense because we really said, hey, that's exactly how we, we like to ride, right? We like to explore. We like to just start riding and then decide where we go. and. And, you know, by looking at the, I mean, the, the key thing was basically that we realized, hey, you know, the, the outer diameter of a 2.9 wheel with a 38 millimeter higher is very identical to a 27.5 wheel with a 2.1 tire. And then we said, hey, you know, if you can fit those two wheels in the same frame, uh, that's going to be a cool bag. Yep. Um 
and so then you had the the UP, and then came the the upper. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. So that was basically just a, a refined version of the UP. Yeah, yeah. It it you know it it comes out of the same mold. So you know uh, it's the same geometry, but it's a complete different layout. So it's not that as as easy as it sounds. Yeah, I mean if you look at it, you know it looks the same, right? Which of course it does mm -hmm. because it comes out of the same mold, but it's it's still it's a complete different bag. Mm -hmm. Nice, and um, so then came the wide or the what is it the wider, the wide, the wide, the wide. Yeah. wide. So you you've been slowly kind of you started off with the mountain bike, went to gravel, and then you slowly been coming back to the bigger, more volume volume tires. What's what's next for open? Yeah, I mean, what's next for open? That's a good question. You know, we always when we started, uh, we you know the number four uh, was a number for us, which is quite important in in a, a couple of ways. Uh, so, I mean, open has four letters. We said we always want to have four products in four different categories. So we want to have you know, a mountain bike, uh, a, a gravel bike, a road bike, and ultimately something in the urban uh, category. And so we had a couple of, you know, setbacks also. I mean, we were working on a full suspension frame for a while. Um, mm. You know, we invested a lot of money there uh, with a friend of actually Gerard, Steve Head, you know, who mm. died in a very tragic way. So... This product was 80% finished. It's kind of a funny story, in fact. I mean, it's a very sad story, but behind the sad story is a funny story. So we, you know, we de developed this, this full suspension frame and then, uh, you know, we were 80% finished. And then, you know, Gerard decided to move to Spain with the whole family to finish up mm -hmm. this frame because the production was in Spain. And so once he arrived there, basically, you know, and, and that was after Steve had died, uh, had decided to close his factory. And really, he was just literally one week there. He moved from uh, New York, you know, where he lived with the family, to Spain uh, to finish up this frame. And then mm -hmm. being there for one week, had decided to close the factory. So he was down in Spain, you know, had nothing to do. It's a typical Jared Rubin story. And <laughs> so that's quite funny. So we had this project. So we had another project. So, you know, our goal was always to manufacture in Europe. That was one project. Then we had another one with a company called AX Lightness, which was based in Germany. Yep. Uh, you know, had the frame finished. I mean, there it was completely finished, tested everything. And then those guys went bankrupt. So, you know, our journey was not totally straight, but we always had this vision to have those four products. So... Uh, coming back to your original question, is it's not a straight line, right? It's it's kind of you know sure. a roller coaster. And you have success and you have failure, and so uh, now hopefully we are very close to another success. So uh, next week uh, we're gonna launch our road frame. Mm -hmm. And that's so, the so go go a little bit more into that. What what exact? Give us some details about the new road frame. So. You know, it's kind of, uh, let's start with, you know, like at the beginning of, of the development of this frame, you know, we kind of, we always wanted to do a road frame, but then, you know, like the upper is an extremely good road frame already. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of people take actually the upper, some of them just for the road, right? So they have like a 35 32 millimeter tire they ride it on the road then there's guys that have two wheel sets you know one really like with road tires one with uh, off-road tires so we said hey you know i mean actually we already have a very good road bike so this has to be different right i mean it's just we don't want to do a, a road bike just also to have a road bike like many others so it, it has to make sense like whenever we do something so so i mean we we kind of defined what is important for us uh, on this bike, and we really ended up with a couple of 
key things, which one is comfort. Uh, you know, we are not the aero brand, you know, I mean, uh, you might know Jared has another company. He's very much involved in uh, 3T, which is an aero brand, I would say. Uh, we were always the comfort brand, uh, which I think makes sense also because, I mean, our customers are normally not the super young racers, right? They are guys having, you know, good jobs, uh, being busy in the job, but then I always say they are senior world champions, right? They ride a lot, so they want to have <laughs> a competitive bike also. But comfort is important for us. So that was one of the key elements was really comfort. Uh, mm-hmm. the, other, the other thing was really simplicity to have. I mean, that's basically in all our products, we try to have really simple designs, but really effective designs. And so I would say what makes a road bike special is that really it's, it's really minimalized. The design is minimalized, comfort, because we think our customer uh, can gain more watts in comfort that he loses in aero. Uh, Because, yeah, it's this guy that goes for longer rides where, you know, fatigue is important on the bike. And so, uh, yeah, comfort is important, simplicity. And then, you know, it's a nice lightweight frame, which lightweight is not always the most important thing for us. But, you know, we want to build nice, good looking uh, and and light bikes. Um, and is this frame going to be produced in the U.S. or in uh, Europe? So, <laughs> so we always have projects uh, of making frames in, in, in the U.S. or in Europe. So sooner or later, there's going to be a frame uh, made in the U.S. or made in Europe. But this one is uh, made in Asia with one of the suppliers. You know, we have 20 years relationship and we are really convinced that the quality is good. I mean, because, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of factories in this world that can produce carbon, but you know, there's not so many that can do it in a good way. And uh, the supplier we have right now is is really long-term in this industry, good knowledge. And for us, that's almost as important than where it's produced but yeah i mean our goal is to produce in europe and in the usa uh Mm -hmm. but it's not as as easy as it sounds (laughs) yep and so um are there future plans to do it then or yes as said you know we're working on those projects and hopefully there will be something in the the near future but you know history told us Never communicate anything before the product is ready. <laughs> I, I, I can remember very well, you know, when we had this made in Germany frame. Uh, actually, as always, we have a lot of customers that buy it without having seen anything, right? So they just like. Right. So I had these 200 guys, you know, that already pre ordered the frame. And, you know, I, I had to call them, I think, like five times. Hey, yes, it's happening. Oh, sorry, it's not happening. Oh, no, 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 now it's happening. <laughs> hey, no, I think it's not happening. <laughs> and, you know, that was very, very frustrating. And right. so, so we learned one lesson. We are not communicating anything until we have frames in production and we have at least two sizes ready to ship, right? Yep. Totally. So you will never hear about anything in the pipeline for us. Unless it's ready. <laughs> right on. <laughs> we learned this lesson. We, we just don't yep. have the time for that, you know. How many people are open? Uh, it's a bit difficult to say because, you know, I mean, actually, really, like, on a payroll, we are only three people, right? Uh, it's Gerard, who lives in Amsterdam. It's myself and Sebastian here in the office in Switzerland. But then we have a small network, uh, and I mean, that was also one of the key things when we started Open, we said, hey, you know, this company has to be structured in a way that, you know, if tomorrow I say something, we want to live in Indonesia, we can live in Indonesia. And so right. we have our webmaster, for example, he is in uh, Toronto, our uh, social media guy and photographer, he is in uh, near Barcelona. And then we have some engineers 
that we were closely with them and they are in Quebec. So, you know, that's, that was an important thing for us that we structure. And I mean, even now during the Corona times, it was really, I mean, we worked like, like before, because I mean, I, right. you know, when I asked Jared, what's the impact uh, of Corona for you? Uh, I mean, in terms of working, he said, Hey, I am, I'm in, in quarantine since, uh, seven years right so <laughs> yeah. so yeah so we can really work from the places we like to work with that makes sense and you know i think we already had the corona way of working before other people started to work like that so we were ready to work you know online in terms of being offline right so it really opens kind of that modern format of a company you know it's in the cloud it's it's you know, open source, if you will. So yeah, you guys are, true, true. You uh, guys can... Yeah, when we started open, yeah, we had a couple of core principles and one was really, uh, definitely, yeah. Uh, we want to be able to work from wherever we want to live, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We want to uh, keep it small also. I mean, this working hard to stay small is not just the marketing slogan, but, you know, we realized with all our companies that we work with, that there's always a certain size that makes sense, right? And, right. and in cycling, I think that's a very good example. Then you, ha you have some small, very successful companies, and then you have some really big companies like Specialized, Effect, whatever. But then if, if you, know, you want to grow from, I say something, $30 million company to 100 or $200 million, this is really, really difficult. And I mean- It's a big step. That's a huge step, and you know, I mean, that's a, a, st a step many many companies struggle, right? And so for us, that was important. Just you know, to, to know where your limits are, right? I mean, we could be, I'm sure, we could be much bigger if we would be offering, you know, five, six, seven complete models, going lower in price points. But at the end, you know, coming back to the start. We want to design cool bikes, you know, and yep. we, don't know, we don't want to manage 50 people. And mm -hmm. so simplicity, you know, like really having a, a small structure. I mean, basically engineering good products so you don't need the customer service. You know, that's kind of right. an important thing also. So, I mean, the structure will always stay small for us. You know, we're going to be a couple of people, a handful of people, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Nice. And um, as far as managing like the uh, all the collaborations and stuff go, is that something that you manage directly? Of course, yeah. I mean, that's another thing. Maybe I have to go back to you know our key principles when we started. I forgot one important one, and that's something we said. Hey, there's two more things which are really important. One is we want to create a community around the brand, mm -hmm. and the other one is we will never sponsor any rider and we will never pay for advertising uh, because we just don't believe in it. So for us, creating stories was our marketing tool, right? I mean, right. that's basically, uh, you know, creating a good product, but then also having, you know, good partnerships and creating stories. I think that was missing in this industry. You know, you had, you had, I mean, uh, all these people use the same ads, you know, you see a guy, you know, winning a race, you know, you know, uh, and, and that's just stupid. Right. I mean, uh, even more that when this, this guy this year is on the, you know, on a brand a and next year he's on a brand B and he always says, Hey, it's the best product. Right. And so right. he said, Hey, community is important for us because I mean, that's, that's really honest marketing, right? If one of our customers says that's the best bike we've ever ridden, that's honest and true marketing and sustainable. And, and then partnerships for us, you know, create stories together with partners. Uh, even our, you know, we have this radio paying custom painting uh, program. I mean, that's, that's a really cool story also. So for us to select a couple of partners, uh, to work with them together uh, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense. I mean, because everybody profits out from that, right? It's not, it's it's not that one guy profits from the other, but you know, 
everybody profits together. So we have a bigger audience. You know, if I, if I say, hey, you know, we have, you know, 40,000 guys just on the blog and, uh, you know, we did this partnership with you and we, I'm not sure how many people you have, but I just pick a number, 60, 80,000, and then you have another guy in there. So at the end, you have a reach of 200,000 people that are really cyclists, right? That, right. That are really like, it's your, your core audience. Your core audience, yeah. And it's interesting, right? It, it's it's cool stories. Uh, I mean, it's really something people like to read. Also, maybe they just they don't buy the product, but you know, they like the story. Right. Yeah, and I mean, besides Envy, you've done um, Betty Racing. Uh, I know Above Category has done some collaborations with you guys. I mean, honestly, the the I think the RTP program with these collaborations takes a page from what mountain biking used to be this colorful sport that, you know, everybody kind of tuned and customized their bikes. And it's something that still exists today in the builder market, you know, where you can truly get something that is personalized for you or yeah. be part of something, you know, that is tribal and that you feel like you belongs to something. Yeah. I think it's, it's getting more and more important. You know, people are looking, for stories people are looking for values i mean i always take i'm not i don't drink alcohol but i always take beer as an example you know until five years ago you know you used to have these big breweries you know heineken blah 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 however you're named and they own the market right and now since a couple of years it's all those micro breweries coming up and, and mm -hmm. people that that can afford it uh you know they buy those those beers because maybe it tastes better maybe but you know the other part is the story it's the local guy right it's it's the guy that yeah. you know sacrifices his life for making the best beer and so i think that becomes more and more important i mean the world is moving into two directions i mean it's the cheapest and the best right and and uh, and people want to have unique things again you know uh, mm -hmm. I mean, not, I mean, it starts when you go to a city, right? You have all the same shops, right? You have the Zara's, you have the H&M's, you have whatever, right? I mean, right. it used to be cool to go to Amsterdam because Amsterdam, there was a lot of cool small shops. Now it's not. You see the same shops that you see in Rome or Paris or whatever. And people are kind of fed up with that. And they want to have their individual thing, you know, uh, which they are proud of, right? So, yeah, this custom build is, is I'm sure, custom build is going to grow in the future. Um, mm -hmm. Customization in general, you know, you have really your your bike uh, and not just like a bike that everybody has. Right. Have you guys ever considered doing a custom frame? Like truly like custom geometry? Not really, not really. I mean, because I remember back when we were at Cervelo, uh, I mean, in general, geometry is an important part of how uh, a bike rides. And so back at Cervelo, they used to work with the military. And, uh, and this is kind of an interesting story because the military had a lot of sizing data for their uh, people that they had to fit into the tanks. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so Cervelo used that data and for working on the decision if they have to make a custom fit frame or not. And at the end, they really came to the conclusion that 96% of the people, they can fit on standard sizes. I mean, if the sizing makes sense, which not everybody has sizing that makes sense. Uh, and yeah, there is like four or 5% of people that really need a custom frame. Mm -hmm. And for those, it makes sense uh, to have a custom frame. But for us, mm -hmm. uh, as we are small, we really have to focus on those 94 or 95%. And, uh, but yes, there are people that really have strange measurements, you know, if I can say that, right. and, and they, they need a custom frame, yeah. Is there anything else besides frames that you guys have taken a look at producing or that you would want to do? Hey, not really. I mean, definitely not a drivetrain. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not us. And honestly, we think, you know, we have to focus. And that's another thing in this industry that, you know, everybody tries to do everything. And, you know, we are a true believer of focus. And we think we can make the biggest impact on the frame. So right. 
there's a lot of other companies that are better in doing components and there is a lot of other companies in doing uh you know frame uh not frame stem bar handlebars and yeah so we really focus on where we have knowledge and there's also like i mean you know electric bags of course that's a huge hype right and it's a huge market also and you know we said hey right. should we do an electric travel bag and then we went like doesn't make sense because i mean there the motor and the battery is the heart right i mean that's that's what makes a difference is the battery and the motor and at the end that's always a product that is kind of heavy so if the frame is a kilogram more or less really doesn't matter so we right. cannot i mean also there is going to be a huge market i'm sure gravel and road uh, electric is going to grow and we said hey we cannot make a difference so we only do things where we really think we can do something better or different and and we leave the rest to people that can do their job better than we do stay to the core principles work yeah. hard stay small yeah <laughs> what's your what's your personal bike setup that you ride right now i never have a personal bike <laughs> no, <laughs> it's kind of funny i've, I've always building those bikes for myself and then when I have them finished, first of all, they are really nice bags and I hate to clean. So <laughs> I go like, okay, this bag is too nice for me. I have to clean it. Oh, I hate cleaning it. Okay. And then I always have new ideas. You know, when I, when I finish with a bag, I have a new idea for a new bag. So then I always sell them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I'm very fortunate. I, I mean, I can ride a lot of different setups and, uh, Normally, I also want to try everything I'm talking about. You know, if there is yep. a new group set or, you know, a new handbar or a new fork, I want to test it, right? I want to really sure. be able to tell people, yeah, this is really cool. Or no, this really is not something I would consider for myself. I mean, it's always individual, right? So, sure. so no, I don't really have a bike for myself. I mean, I have... It sounds horrible, I know. I have a 15-year-old <laughs> BMC, which has over 100,000 miles in it, and I ride with that bike to work. And everybody goes like, hey, hey, you could have a nice... I mean, not every day I ride with that. When it's nice weather and I have time, I, I take my white that I ride currently and go with that bike. But like, most of the time I commute with that bike because it's just... It's very handy, you know, I don't have to take right. locks. I can leave it at the supermarket if I go shopping and it's just like, so uh, I'm a little bit Buddhistic in this way. I don't need to, uh, you know, possess anything. Uh, but mm -hmm. of course I, you know, I write many different setups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your, what's your background in riding? Do you come from mountain biking or are you more of the road cyclist? No, I hated road. Uh, actually, I was, a, <laughs> <laughs> I was a mountain biker. I was, I thought road is so uncool. And <laughs> when I, <laughs> I, you know, when I started to work for BMC, uh, you know, Andy Rees, uh, who was the owner of BMC, he had this road racing team. And uh, they were on Scott bicycles. And then uh, one day he said, doesn't make sense. You know, I own a racing team and I own a bike company. And uh, the racing team is not on the bikes that the bike company builds. So, hey, you need to do a road bike. And I was going, oh, shit. You know, now I have to do a road <laughs> bike. And <laughs> actually, I really liked, uh, started to like road biking also. And it's uh, pretty, that's pretty funny because I mean, BMC is known as a road company. Yeah. But you know, at the beginning, BMC was, I mean, it, it's a, like often there is like a story behind the story, right? So BMC actually John Tomac, uh, you know, who was my, I started mountain biking in 1988 and John Tomac was my, my really big thing. I really liked him. And right. And so, you know, BMC originally was just the company that assembled bikes. They didn't have a brand. They were the rally importer uh, for Switzerland. And John Tomac, okay. was, John Tomac was racing on, on rally uh, those days. And then they lost the import license for rally. And they, they actually started to make bags. And, and uh, the first bag was 
a mountain bike and then uh you know the second bike was this kind of uh it was called alpen challenge which back then was already kind of a mixture i would say it's not a gravel bike but you know it was a mixture between uh a road and a city bike and and that was pretty successful so it was basically a city mm -hmm. bike with uh with road uh uh group sets so you know you could you know go faster than with a classic city bike and and that was kind of the, the the main product for bmc but for a long time bmc was super small right when i started in 2001 it was a three million dollar company losing two million <laughs> and <laughs> yeah i mean the success kind of came with uh, the road for sure i mean this right. this, this road journey which really was a journey uh, i mean i I remember also there back at BMC when we brought the first road bike, it was pretty different. And, you know, a lot of guys from the team said, hey, I'm not going to write that. I'm not going to write that. And it's kind of actually a very funny story also. Like we had a, a sloping road frame, which back then nobody kind of had a sloping frame. And, you know, Urs Freuler, uh, multiple Giro stage winner and blah, blah, blah. Uh, he's a tall guy and he was a team manager and he said he came this is really a stupid frame you know this this cannot work <laughs> I mean already mentally it cannot work you know when you sit on the bike you know you always think you go upwards because of the sloping frame right <laughs> and he said, you know I had this Atala I had this Atala and the Atala had like a, a double chop tube and, and the, the upper chop tube was facing down this was this was great, right? Because then you always felt you're going downward. <laughs> <laughs> Man, roadies drive me crazy with their preconceptions about stuff. It just takes. Yeah. It just seems like, especially. I shouldn't say roadies and throw a blanket over the whole everybody that rides a road bike, but particularly in racing, when you yeah. deal with like the old guard, yeah. those guys like they think they have it all figured out, and they're to to get them to come along with innovation, like just going from tubular to tubeless. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. That's such a massive yeah. transition for those guys or yeah. to go from 23 to 25, you know, it's just, it, it always, even if you show them data yeah. and you, you know, all this stuff, they just so change resistant. It's pretty funny. Yeah, no, no, so, they are, they are, they are. And, uh, you know, we had, I mean, even worse, we had, on this bike that everybody thought of, oh, now we just have to ride this shitty bike because Andy Reese is the owner of the, the bike company. We had speed play pedals and there was the same. But you know, the funny thing is, I mean, I remember uh, Alexander Moos, Swiss racer, good mm -hmm. racer, and actually, you know, a really cool guy. He, he was really, I mean, he was the guy the kind of was the opinion leader in not liking those two things, right? Speed play pedals and this frame. And, you know, actually after a while, he was the guy that became the opinion leader. Hey, this is a really good frame and those are really good pedals. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> if you come with something new, it's, they're always going to hate it. Always. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So this, uh, when did the team start? Was that Phonak then? Was that yeah, the it was team Phonak. then? So that was like Tyler Hamilton era then. That was everybody that uh, you know. <laughs> something. Everybody. Hey, I mean, and that's honestly that's why why I never liked road racing. I mean, team racing because right. I mean we had them all. You know, we had them all. I mean, we had one year we had like seven or eight guys that exploded, right? I mean, we had Hamilton, we had uh, Landis, we had Winokurov, we had Kaszewskin, we had Kloden, we had all <laughs> the, the Swiss guys. And, you know, that's really like, for me, I mean, and, and I liked a lot of those guys, right? I mean, I, I'm a, I really like Floyd Landis, I really like Tyler Hamilton. They're yep. great guys, so you really start to like those guys and I mean, and then things happen, right? And you go like, why, you know, th th those right. are such nice guys. And 
I mean, I know that's not the case anymore. I mean, I really want to state that clearly. But back then, it was like the guys from Spain, they, they, they laughed at the guys from Switzerland because Switzerland had training controls. They said, what? Why are you riding in Switzerland? Come to Spain, right? And <laughs> so for me, that I mean, for me, that took a lot away of the motivation, right? It, it really... Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I still like the guys, but I think like... What is this good for? You know, is this racing? Uh, can you really still call that racing? Right. Uh, so yeah, that's when I lost a little bit. Uh, you know, that's when I really started to lose. You know, the interest in uh, watching a Tour de France and watching a Giro, mm. uh, which I really liked. And you know, for me, it's really just. And that's also part of what we do now is really just like. Cycling, right? It's it's so cycling is so cool, right? I mean, right. race race against yourself, right? That's that's really cool. Uh, well, I mean, it kind of circles back to what you said at the, you know, we were talking about the beginning with the coronavirus and people kind of swinging towards the gravel thing because you can explore places close to home or you can go as far as you want and you know, seeking out that adventure is just as much as a, of an adrenaline rush as racing is, you know, the, the thrill of, you know, going into the unknown, maybe you kind of have a general idea of where you're going to head off to, but, you know, just exploring and seeing things from a different perspective, you know, I think the bike is a very unique opportunity to see things that way. Um, you know, walking is also a great way to see things, but you don't get very far. Um, automobile, you're in a, steel capsule and it's kind of hard to see what's going on around you whereas the bike has that happy medium of you know the world is you're surrounded by the world you, you're seeing everything on a both macro and micro level but you're also getting somewhere and your your scenery changes and um you know having raced before and now doing the exploring thing and you know challenging myself in different ways it's definitely um, fulfilling to to do that to do that and um, and I, and that's why I truly believe that gravel is so popular is because it is you know a, a mix of you know not only surfaces but um, it gets you to new places and you get to see things in such a different way. No, I 100% agree. I mean, for me, it's riding a bike is a lot of different things, right? One is yeah, one is health, right? Uh, yep. One and as you say, one is competition, and nothing against racing, right? I mean, I. I I totally understand people that go racing. Uh, but for me, you know, one really important part is mental health, right? And, yeah. and, uh, uh, and also like exploring nature, being outside. And that's, I think that's the nice thing about gravel because, I mean, you can actually ride like on the road, but you don't have traffic. So, right. For me, that was always the nice thing about mountain biking, you know, I could think, uh, yeah. which th those days on the road, the road became much more aggressive uh, and it's really training it, right? If you go on the road, it's training, right. and, but it's not like, you know, uh, thinking or shutting down and you're really just like, you go into your zen. Uh, no, it's, you always have to anticipate what is happening next and that's the nice thing about gravel, you know, you, you can do that. You can do that. You can really, yep. and you, you can explore. And actually, for me, that's, I live in an area which I have lived for quite a while. And because I was training when I was young, I, I really, you know, know the area very well. And it was kind of getting bored. And now with gravel, I really actually, I leave the house and on the first corner, I decide go I, to go left or right. And I do that like, 500 times during my ride. And mm -hmm. I come to places where I've never been before. And this kind of adventure part is, is really a nice part, you know, that yeah. especially if your, your day is pretty structured, right? I hate to plan. <laughs> On the yep. weekends, you know, I hate to plan. On my rides, I hate to plan. And you know, <laughs> with gravel, you actually don't have to plan. You just right. go. No. Just go, yeah, it's no. true. Um, I remember that ride. We, I think it's two or three years ago. We did that ride uh, with Opus and Gamusa, that mm -hmm. that gravel ride, and it's events like that. So that ride, just for the listeners, 
Um, it was in May, I want to say, but it was mm -hmm. a typical May in Europe, which can be either very nice and sunny. Yeah. But on that day, it wasn't. It was kind of what you talked about at the beginning where it was, you know, this gray, cold. And I, it didn't snow on us, but I don't think it was too far off from that. And I mean, I think they had, what they have? How long was that ride? Do you remember that they had scheduled hey. for it? It was like a hundred K or something. Yeah, yeah, it was long. It was long. I've heard gravel, it was, it was long. Uh, it was yeah. long. And I just remember we got to that first checkpoint that I think was like 20 some K in. And I was like, so what are we about halfway through this? And mm -hmm. they're like, no, we're like 20 K. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to die. <laughs> that was, and, but it's, it's events like that, you know, that build, we, we will always remember that. We always yeah. talk about that. And I, it's, it, it's not racing, but it's, you know, these group rides or these adventures you go on that, you know, usually something adverse happens and then it becomes tattooed in your memory forever is this, you know, you look back on it and laugh and think it was a great experience. Yeah. You may not think that while you're in it, but. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the, the funny thing, the rides that you remember, uh, that's most of the time the rides, you really suffered in one way or another, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it, especially if you ride in a group, that really brings you together and yeah that, that's really a kind of a thing everybody in the group they never forget which i really like right it, it, it's kind yeah, of yeah that collective memory yeah the collective memory you know like i remember we had uh, last year when we introduced the white we made this uh press event with the white and we had a, a two-day trip and it actually started pretty okay and then, you know, we, we started to have a lot of rain, a lot of headwind <laughs> and temperature <laughs> fell down to freezing. Right. I mean, it was just before it started snowing and we were like with this, like 40 miles, 60 K headwind. And, you know, we started to bunk. We were really hungry. And I mean, we knew there is a guy that has, you know, a bus, right from DT Swiss. So we tried to call this guy from the bus and say, hey, come and pick us up. <laughs> the guy just didn't, you know, didn't pick up the phone and we were like, oh shit, we have to continue to ride. <laughs> and, and we continued to ride and we really came to the place which was pretty, you know, a remote restaurant kind of bed and breakfast thingy. And, you know, Mark, our photographer, he had two hours in the shower until he started to fail his toes again. <laughs> it took him two hours. It took him two hours. And then you were there and you were like, oh, shit, we made it. And oh, now we go to dinner. And then, you know, like at this dinner, I mean, it was such a cool atmosphere, you know, because everybody was like, hey, you know, we made it. We survived. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's probably a better feeling that, hey, you know, I won this race or something like that because you did, oh, it, totally. you did it in a team, right? And I mean, everybody suffered, you know, and, and this guy had kind of a downer and you kind of cheered him up and yeah, that's just really cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's it's sharing those 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 moments and those stories afterwards. You know, it's, you have that bond with those people. Whereas if you're racing, you know, only one person wins. Yeah. And I mean, I've had races where I've had experiences like that too, you yeah. know, where we all kind of laugh afterwards because, yeah. you know, the, what happened during the race, but I, you know, definitely when you do these group rides or you do some, you know, you do an adventure by yourself or with other people, you know, you create different stories yeah. and it's, it's truly a special thing. And it's a lot of fun to sit back and tell those, spin those stories again and, share those moments and you're immediately brought back to that time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really nice. Good stuff. Well, Hey Andy, we did an hour. Yeah. It was, it was a good talk. I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's, uh, All right. it's always, I mean, that's something I like about our industry, you know, it's always, there's a lot of interesting people and it's really cool to talk to them. So I really enjoy yeah. all that we talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Good luck with the launch of your road bike. Thanks. We'll be looking forward to it and definitely looking forward to future collaborations with Envy. And uh, yeah, good luck and we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Hey, have a good day.